This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. An unexpectedly profound experience making this show. I, I really hold this experience so deep to my heart. Like, I, I really, I want to cry thinking about it. I loved it so much. And it's something I never would have expected. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new season of The Awardist Podcast, where we are going to break down the state of the Emmys race this year and talk to some of the biggest contenders, some of your favorite stars, so much more to come in the coming weeks. I am Entertainment Weekly Senior TV Editor Jared Hall, and I am so excited to be joined by the one, the only... Kristen Baldwin, EWTV critic. Hi, Jared. It's so nice to Hi. be able to do this over Zoom where I can see your smiling face. I know, right? Uh, so many of these uh, recordings we do. Sometimes, you know, for the What to Watch podcast, we're just like, yeah, we don't need video. But it's great in this instance. Um, and because we can also see each other's facial expressions when we disagree on a show. <laughs> 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 Which but will happen. It will inevitably happen. But uh, just based on some conversations we've already had, I think there are a lot of shows that we are very excited for and hoping to see kind of go all the way, um, at least to get nominated. There are some that we think should be nominated, but mm -hmm. we're a little worried about their chances. And we're going to talk about all of those. Exactly. Yeah, so of course, uh, the, the Awardist podcast has been very Oscars-focused for a while, and we are now getting into Emmy season and we're kicking it off with, uh, we're going to be talking about limited series. And our guests today are from a very big show. It's kind of the, it's the equivalent of a blockbuster movie, but mm -hmm. on your TV screens, WandaVision, the cast and creative team behind that. What a splash they made this year. Holy cow, I know. And uh, certainly no one knew if Disney Plus had another blockbuster in them after The Mandalorian. You know, was that going right. to be a fluke? But clearly it was not because WandaVision came out and people went nuts and there it was trending every week just like they wanted. Yeah. And it's definitely a contender in the limited series category. Yeah, they did something really special with that, um, focusing on, you know, putting the show in the different decades of classic TV sitcoms. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of blew that up, uh, the, that narrative. And we really got into why we were seeing them in all of these sitcom eras. Uh, and, and it just went so beyond the surface, you know, dealing with, with grief and loss mm -hmm. and themes that, of course, are in the pages of comics. But when you see it like this and the way it was just so special. Um, yeah. So can't wait uh, for that conversation with them. But um, let's get into the contender, shall we? Last year's winner uh, it's one that I know you loved. Yes. I think everybody loved. Watchmen. And I mean, it was just, it was a lock. And, you know, why, mm -hmm. why wouldn't it be? I mean, it was so great. And and unfortunately, it ended up being a limited series. We were hoping for yeah. more. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe years from now, they'll bring it back. I guess it would end up still being another limited series. But I don't know if there's per se a lock this year. For a while, well, let's, let's list off the contenders here. The yeah. Queen's Gambit. I May Destroy You, we've mentioned WandaVision, The Underground Railroad, Mayor of Easttown, Small Axe, The Undoing, It's a Sin. For a while, I think when it was on, people thought, oh, The Undoing, this has got it. Uh, and then The Queen's Gambit came along. Mm -hmm. 
And everyone's like, oh, it's got to be this. But everybody, I think, is still forgetting I May Destroy You has a lot of fans yes. in the industry. And that's important. Yeah, and it was really, it was sort of snubbed by the Golden Globes and that <sighs> created a lot of furor. So yeah. I think, it, you know, I think the Queen's Gambit maybe is still the front runner just from sheer uh size of audience mm -hmm. that said there's definitely there are a lot of great contenders here um mm -hmm. and there are probably others that you know we right. aren't even thinking of um mm -hmm. but i do and underground railroad i think is going to yeah. make a lot of noise and so it's going to be an exciting race uh do you have a dream nominee here i mean i I really want to see It's a Sin yeah. get nominated that uh, that that limited series on HBO Max from Russell T. Davies, uh, who just crafted such an intimate story about uh, the rise of the AIDS epidemic in England, which is not a story we have seen at all, really, right. especially not on a big scale like this. I'm sure it's been handled on, you know, soaps uh, that mm -hmm. air in the UK. But uh, in terms of something big like this, and the cast is just... I think the thing when I was watching that is that I could see my group of friends in that um, mm -hmm. and you you just felt for all of them. You could see your friends in them um, and it's just uh, it's just heartbreaking, uh, right. of course, as any limited yeah. series or anything that deals with the AIDS epidemic. And that's Russell, Russell T. Davies, right? And he's so yeah. good. And it's just, yeah, yeah. I, I do. I think that will gain some momentum as we head into oh. the you know, the nominating period of the, of the yeah. nominating period. Yeah. I think, you know, I may destroy you. I feel like is close to a lock, but that's the one that like, I will, you know, uh -huh. go burn down Los Angeles if they don't nominate <laughs> it. But I, I really yeah. feel like we're going to be in good shape there. I think so too. Yeah. Mayor of Easttown. Uh, it's, it's that series. Uh, Kate Winslet People are is loving so it. good on it. Yes. And the mystery that they've incorporated into that um, episode five was ended in such a huge way. And then, uh, you know, there were still more mystery to unravel after that. Um, Small Axe is interesting because it's actually five movies. Yeah. Um, from uh, Steve McQueen, who's just so great, like Barry Jenkins, they, they know how to handle their material with um, such sensitivity and beauty. Yeah, um, it's an interesting question. Like it's presented as a limited series, but it's yeah. a bunch of movies. So, right. but who knows? I mean, I do wonder if like the undoing, which went into, you know, the year having the momentum, it's almost like it's got it's got some catching up to do. Agree, agree. They're going to have to get uh, Nicole Kimmons coats back out there to do some campaigning. <laughs> get that green velvet coat on all the talk shows. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so that leads me into, I want to ask you about Nicole Kidman. Do you think she stands a pretty good chance of uh, being nominated in that category, which also includes Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, Michaela Cole, Kate Winslet, Elizabeth Olsen, Cynthia Erivo for Genius Aretha, uh, Tuso Mbedu, I think I said that right, Tuso Mbedu for the Underground Railroad, um, and of course, Regina King won that last year, Ugh. deservedly so. Yeah, um, you know, it's a good question. I, you know, Nicole did get the Golden Globe nom and the SAG nom. And so I do think mm -hmm. she's a favorite and people love to see her show yeah. up at award shows. And who knows, will this mm -hmm. be like the Oscars where people actually show up at an award yeah. show? We don't know yet. Um, I think, you know, they're generally, uh, what is it, five in this category. Um, yeah. So I do think it's going to be a tight race. I feel like yeah. she'll squeak in just because she's Nicole.
Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you there. And she is really good, yes. especially those last, oh my gosh, those last two episodes yeah. were just uh, so good on her part. And that finale was, uh, I mean, it it was very polarizing. Yes. Uh, you either hated it or you <laughs> loved it, but you can't deny the quality of the performances yeah. in that episode too. Absolutely. Yeah. And shall we get into the men here? I yes. mean, my gosh, another great list. Mark Ruffalo won last year. Um, I, I mean, he, he was very deserving. There are some other people who I kind of thought maybe that was a bit tighter of a race. But this year we're looking at, uh, for the undoing, Hugh Grant, mm-hmm. Ewan McGregor in Austin, Paul Bettany, WandaVision, Brian Cranston, Your Honor, Ethan Hawke, The Good Lord Bird, Jeff Daniels, The Comey Rule, Lynn Manuel Miranda, Hamilton, and Leslie Odom Jr. for Hamilton. Because uh, we should note that limited series and TV movies are combined right. for the that's- acting categories, but not the overall category. Yeah, so it's, um, wow, that's a tough one too. It is. And, you know, I do think that Hugh Grant, who also was Golden Globe nominated, SAG nominated, he was great. And I I think he deserves it. Uh, This is going to be interesting because some of these projects, you know, certainly came at the early end of the eligibility period. So are people going to remember Good Lord Bird, you know, Mm -hmm. or Your Honor, but those were both well-received and and the Comey rule. Um, I do wonder what's going to happen with Halston. (laughs) Just because it certainly looks flashy and like a prestige Mm -hmm. project, but, you know, I don't feel like I'd be telling tales out of school if I said that it's maybe not looking like it's going to be a critically acclaimed hit. Right. I would agree with you there. Yeah. And they're also getting into the race very late. So that's either going to benefit them because they'll be fresh on everyone's minds or everybody else is already so established in the race that that could also make it tough. Uh, for you and to to get in there, but Paul Bettany has some great work in Wandavision. Yes. Ethan Hawke, it's his first TV, his his lead role in a TV series. He's done some guest spots here and there, and then of course there's all that love for Hamilton. Uh, you know, of course they they won all of their Tonys, but does that translate to Emmys? Hmm. Yeah, this is an interesting category in that it's very different types of performances. Yes. Um, I don't know. I guess if you had to pick a front runner. Jared, like, who would be your front runner and why? I think Hugh Grant because mm-hmm. it was uh, such a, a different and unexpected role and yes. performance from him. Uh, he he really brought the mystery there. He left you wondering what he was thinking, what what really happened, and um, I just think it's an incredibly memorable performance. Yeah, from all of these. I yeah, he was great. I loved him. I mean, I do wonder. If Ethan Hawke, people love yeah. him. Mm-hmm. I just, that was an interesting showy performance. But maybe, yes. you know, will the Hamilton guy split the vote? Who can say? They're just, right. you know, this will be an interesting uh, category in that there's no clear slam dunk. Mm-hmm. Brian Cranston, always reliable. But yeah, Ethan Hawke carried that. Jeff Daniels, the Comey rule was only two mm-hmm. episodes. So... And, you know, he played a character who was very self-controlled and sort of uh, hard to read, which he did it very well, but it's also Mm -hmm. not a super exciting performance because he's playing a guy who tries to present himself as a brick wall. So Right, right. And he does it very well. Well, we have uh, weeks, months to go, really, (laughs) before we see how this all shakes out. But uh, right now, I'm very excited for us to get into more of uh, the minds of the folks who were involved in WandaVision, and and we can see maybe we'll have a better idea from there uh, what you know where where this series stands uh, in in terms of the overall race. 
once we talk to them some more. So stick around, the cast and creators of WandaVision coming up. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And now my interview with the cast and creative team behind WandaVision. But first, a little disclaimer. This one was recorded remotely, so some folks sound a little clearer than others. But it is a really fun conversation, and I do hope you enjoy. I am uh, having a bit of a pinch me moment right now because of who our guests are. The cast and creative team behind the hit Disney Plus Marvel series, WandaVision, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, Katherine Hahn, Tiana Paris, creator, executive producer, and writer Jack Schaefer, and executive producer and director Matt Shackman. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Hey. Hi. Thanks so much for joining us. So uh, I, there's a lot to talk about, so uh, let's just get right into it, shall we? Um, I want to start by asking about audience reaction. What kind of comments were all of you receiving during the run of the show um, that touched you or maybe that like made you think about something that you hadn't thought about before? I definitely felt a lot of about how TV had been a source of a, like the family hearth um, that had been missing in my family. Like growing up, there had been such a weekly ritual of my family gathering around the television to watch a show. And that had been missing for a very long time in my, in, in my, in my family, I guess, um, mm. that there hadn't been something that we could all watch together. And there was something very sweet and nostalgic about mm -hmm. that. Off of that, I mean, I, I was hearing about multiple generations talking about this show and, um, you know, people, maybe grandparents being, and this is usually just from talking to everyone here, so I'm sorry if this is someone's story, but the okay. grandparents who um, are enjoying watching the show because of the nostalgia aspect and, of, of the sitcoms and the grandkids explaining to them the Marvel Universe and how it, how it crossed multiple generations in that way. Um, I, I knew that we were doing something that we were hoping our Marvel fans would have would it be like, why aren't they doing Marvel? Um, and then we're also bringing in new audiences that maybe when we got to Marvel, kind of were confused. And uh, we, were, we were just hoping that our audiences stayed with us. And, and, and it seems like they did. And um, from an old, old, an old fan perspective and a, and a new. Well, speaking of fans kind of being like, oh, what, what's going on at Marvel? Were there any like, you know, Reddit threads or sites or fan theories that you guys were all following along with? Like, uh oh, these people are onto us or, you know, anything like that? I mean, I loved looking at the memes and the TikTok videos and seeing that there was this dialogue happening between the show and the fans out there. Some of them were really wonderful watching all of these amazing actors get turned into memes um, was really fun uh, seeing... Uh, Agatha's laughing. Get done by so many wonderful people. Some really moving things. 
um, seeing Paul turned into Vishon was also a pretty good one. Mm. Uh, there, there are lots of great, great things out there. And watching people follow the mystery and guess and come up with their own theories mm-hmm. and realize that people were watching it um, with so much passion when we had made it with so much passion was really lovely. I had multiple, multiple people come up to me and say that their children were now interested in watching Dick Van Dyke shows. Um, the old Dick Van Dyke, which was very, is very moving to me, that their kids were interested in going back to see like the origin of sitcoms and, and really interested in being like Bewitched or these old shows after watching this show, which is an unexpected um, uh, byproduct of something that we had made and that Matt and Jack had, had put together, which is something that was very and in terms of your meme question, I, I had been off. I'm, I'm not on social media, but I've been sent the memes. And um, it is hilarious that that it's the one with the biggest mouth I've ever made that happens to be the one that has taken off. <laughs> yeah, those, uh, you know, Matt mentioned the the, the memes, the gifts, the, uh, I, I mean, especially for you, Catherine, I mean, the wink has taken on a whole yes, life. Yes, that's what I mean. My mouth couldn't be in a bigger oval shape. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I mean, it, it's now part of pop culture. I don't, you know, sure. it's never going to go I'm away. So I guess you just flattered. have to own it. Yes. What else can you do? I'm super right. flattered. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I love that. Well, um, you know, Jack and and Matt as well, I know much has already been said about um, a a lot of the classic sitcoms that you guys referenced. But, um, you know, here, of course, here we are doing uh, this this interview during FYC season, which is leading up to the Emmys, which celebrate the best in TV. And this show did the same with classic sitcoms. But what I really want to know is how did you even land on that idea? Like, were there other... Were there other options explored before you really sat down and, and put all the time and work into this specific storytelling device? Well, the the concept belongs to Kevin Feige. It was it was his idea to marry Wanda and Vision with the history of sitcoms. He mm. is a Nick at Night type of guy, mm. um, and he you know based on this very long history in the comics of Wanda and Vision in various domestic suburban spheres. Um, he, you know, thought those two things would go together. And so when I, you know, I was invited to pitch on the project and sort of bring shape to it, you know, they knew that, that, you know, Wanda's history um, and her very intense legacy of, of loss in her personal life would be an excellent, excellent emotional foundation for the show and her superpowers that have to do with reality manipulation, that it would be an, you know, terrific opportunity to, to unpack that and explore that more. Um, but once I came on, then it became, you know, which sitcoms and, and how to structure it, how to move through them, like what's the device that propels it forward. And early on, we decided family sitcoms and aspirational family sitcoms as well. You know, we looked at Norman Lear and we looked at, you know, workplace sitcoms like, you know, The Office and then and then other sitcoms like, you know, Cheers and that kind of thing where there's like a communal gathering. And, and fairly quickly, it was like, we need the home base. We want these, you know, we want to feel like we're in the home and hearth as actually, um, as Catherine was, was saying, that hearth thing is, is very central to the show. Um, yeah. And so that that was an early discovery you know, um, in the, in the very beginning. And then obviously when Matt came on, it became, (laughs) how are we, how are we physically going to do that? (laughs) 
we did it quite well, uh, I should say. Yeah, I was going to say we get we designed everything really around the television and the fireplace, mm-hmm. um, and all of those sets through the eras were had the same floor plan, which was gathered around the family, gathered around the TV and the fireplace. And that, of course, created this this sitcom kind of setting created such a different dynamic for these characters that we're certainly as audiences and fans not used to seeing them. And so, uh, for the actors, w- what were kind of the challenges? of like wrapping your head around how do I take this character that everyone knows and put it here and still make it work? I think what you have to do as an actor is is trust that you are putting these characters in a different world and that the story will unravel and tell itself. So you just have to focus on doing the best you can episode to episode, whatever our goal was, whatever our restrictions were based on tone and style um, because we know what's going to happen and we know how it's going to unravel. It will be more satisfying if we just focus on one thing at a time, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. So the challenge really was was just nerdy actor stuff, (laughs) like learning how to do uh, physical comedy better, remembering that we have legs and walk Mm. in, in scenes and that our bodies are very important for comedy and our voice and our and the inflections and mannerisms and then and then trying to find that sweet spot with Matt on the tone of when the Marvel Cinematic Universe starts to confront these, the sitcom world and what are we revealing that how much do we want to reveal in that what are we learning from from those moments so that was like I think technically the most fun thing to play was when those two worlds collided. Um, and then other than that, we just got to be, you know, really lucky that we got to play in lots of different tones and worlds and, jo- and genres as actors. I mean, it was a playground and um, scary and bizarre. And we were either going to like fail or succeed. <laughs> and uh, Matt, Matt really <laughs> was our, um, our litmus test every step of the way, um, whether we felt uh, you know, stupid because we were really sincerely doing magic or felt stupid because we were doing uh, a sitcom. Or, you know, there's just always something to feel stupid when you're an actor. And so he was truly the, the, our guiding light. So compartmentalizing in a way, commitment and trust. Yeah, and flexibility. Like, I think like you just had to be, you had to have like flexible, at, at flexible muscles. Like, and I think having a, someone that comes from the theater as our captain leader, Matt, you know, and having a writer that knows these characters, even through the, through the decades, you know that there is a true North so that you know that your center is always, the center will always be held. You know that you're not going to be starting from scratch in each decade, that you know that there is still a, a center that you you can hold on to. I think at a global uh, global level, I was the thing that I was sort of I was like, that's a cool idea when Kevin pitched it to me, and I thought, well, how does it not just be uh, a gimmick? And Jack found a way for it to really not be a gimmick. And I, I was talking to somebody recently who was like, what's amazing about the show is that it's blown TV wide open because it, it you know TV usually makes a contract with the audience about what the show is and and then it never reneges on that deal and and one division did and i and i i've been thinking about it a lot and it didn't it was just so cleverly wrought that 
it made the contract with the audience and it just didn't let you know for a while. And it was, once I saw all of the scripts together, I felt sort of entirely safe in, in what we, do, we were doing. Now, we were going up to bat second, we thought, and I thought, well, we'll be the little niche cookie cousin Marvel weird thing and maybe it'll work and maybe, but um, it was, it's been so amazing to watch people fall in love with that, with it. And it is so much down to the extraordinary work of Jack Schaefer and her writer's room and Matt Shackman, who was on the project for over two years mm -hmm. and our, my captain, my captain. Um, and it's been the most joyful endeavor of my entire career. I love it. And just to, to say, you're talking about being second at bat because, of course, the, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier was supposed to be the first of these shows. But, you know, a little pandemic happened and things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, Tiana, this character, Geraldine slash Monica, in so many ways, I, I feel like was kind of an audience member. She knows something's going on. She's trying to, like, unlock this and, and help us get to where uh, we need to be. Um, so... But, well, because on top of that also, she's also someone who has uh, experienced grief because her mom died. She wasn't able to be there because, you know, that little thing called the snap. Uh, and then on top of that, she's gaining powers in the process because of going back and forth between the walls. So for you, like, where does one start? Because you you also kind of have a lot of things here to deal with. Right. Um, that particular scene, I always talk about this when Lizzie and I are on together, uh, it was it was very difficult, and I, I had a couple of conversations with Matt because you have this um, all the technical things like someone walking around in a green suit with the stork thing, and then uh, Geraldine is going on and on about uh, her job and just trying to get those words. And I think for me, because I wasn't, I didn't have Monica in my body. I didn't have her like before. Like I was creating her in this moment in this process um that 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 north that true north that catherine is talking about i, I second guessed it a lot like what if is, am i monica like does this part come out matt am i supposed to is it supposed to be completely different i struggled with that a bit um because i also was like the audience doesn't know monica yet um so they don't know what's you know what i mean like this I, it, just like i'm going on and on and no complete thoughts have come out yet that was me on the set like trying to figure out and get this all in my body to just go for it and eventually uh that's kind of where matt and i landed was just trust just go for it like this is that mm -hmm. she's here she's in this world and you know it's gonna line up as it's more is revealed but i definitely got into that in their head thing because there are so many different levels and I think uh, Lizzie or Paul have said this before like you just kind of had to trust it and just oh yeah just one thing at a time just one thing at a time <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, we, we've kind of touched on a bit like, you know, this this overall theme of uh, the season, which, is, of course, is, is dealing with grief. Um, comic books have have long tackled topics like this and emotions. But really, I, I feel like a lot of the stories that we've seen brought to the screen are really like, you know, trying to save the day, saving Earth from destruction. So for this particular story to be brought to life in this way, I think is is, first of all, uh, you know, kudos 
in, in just even trying to do that because we're not used to seeing that really dealt with in this way. Um, showing the battle to reconcile with grief and accept it and to see how it affects the decisions that we make and how it affects others around us. That's a lot, but it, it worked here so, so well. So what was the key to unlocking how to handle that and, and arriving at a place where vision says, but what is grief if not love persevering, which just, uh. You know, the, the true north that Catherine talked about, I think is that exploration of loss that Jack so beautifully did. And so it's there even from the first episode, right? It's there in episode one when they're challenged by the boss and the boss's wife about their past and who they are. You start to feel it percolate. There's this kind of lake of trauma underneath the show the entire time. And it's really the spine of the show, the story of, of loss and grief, but it's the flip side of that, which is love, right? It's this beautiful love story and it's this beautiful exploration of grief. And, and that allows you to have crazy scenes with storks um, and Jack should talk about how she structured this about the stages of grief, which was genius and I think is absolutely evident. In it. You know, it felt like I worked on several Marvel properties and you inherit things and, and, mm -hmm. and it was, it was such a relief on this project to, to have it not be about saving the universe. Um, it, it was an opportunity to have it really be about this, this woman's trauma, um, and a specific scenario in a town that was very contained. And it was also a gift to be working from the tremendous work that Paul and Lizzie had already done in the MCU. So there was no starting from scratch. There was, you know, a wealth of comics and then there were two living, breathing people who had embodied these characters for so long and brought so much to them. But it was such a like delicious opportunity to literally put them in a scenario that is like the least expected, anticipated world for them and to see them be happy and be in love and domestic and and like in in the home space but yeah it was you know it was it was early on like the, my pitch was mapped to the stages of grief like that was it was it ended up being kind of a reductive thing like in in early drafts and in the writer's room we did a lot more i don't know if you know this tiana but like you had a therapist in the base <laughs> in the pop-up base there were like therapy scenes because we in the room were very pro-therapy like we saw this show as being really truly about mental health. And we were like, well, we gotta have a therapist. <laughs> and then realized that was, uh, there was not a lot of time in the pop-up base for, uh, mm. for Monica to be stepping into her sessions at all. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, I, I, I think that it's, it's in Wanda Maximoff's history. You know, we took it very seriously. It's in the MCU, it's in Lizzie's performance and her connection to vision and what that means in Paul and Lizzie's combined work on the screen. And, and, and we, we took that and ran. Just to piggyback, I think what, what Jack did so well is as well. And, and Matt guiding us is that I think it's really hard to tell stories about grief and, and trauma that people are really want to see <laughs> like, Oh, you should really check out the show. It's about grief and trauma. Um, but we, we captured the audience through humor and charm. And so we already disarmed them so that they can be with us when mm -hmm. we get to these, um, these, these sadder, darker moments. And I think, that's, that's, I think that was the key to having this affect people. And it did, certainly did. Um, all right, doing a bit of a 180 here. Catherine, I gotta know, was, uh, was playing a, a powerful sorceress always on your wish list of roles? <laughs> Absolutely, 
So I how did agree. she live up to those hopes? She exceeded them by a thousand. You know, it's funny because like when I walked out of this of the general meeting I had with with Lou and Mary Lovanos, our producer, I was like, oh, you know, I had no expectation, whatever. I thought maybe it'd be years from then, but if ever I would have gotten a Marvel gig, but I thought, oh God, a villain would be just so fun. And I didn't really know that there were even real witches in the universe besides the Scarlet Witch. Like I had no idea. And then a few days later when I was called to meet with Matt and Jack and Mary and I heard about Agatha, I was, I mean, there, I was, I mean, there was no, I was so excited. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I was so thrilled. So yeah, I mean, there, that, that was the dreamiest. And I think to be able to have played um, a, a witch that in effect was also an actor and also just lived in the gray area, it was just also just, just the dream of, mm-hmm. of, of dreams. Lots and of great layers also, there. Yeah, so many. And also, like, just, it was a real, uh, a, a real deep dive. I, an unexpectedly profound experience making this show. I, I really hold this experience so deep to my heart, Jared. I really do. And, it, I mean, it has to do with this ensemble and these writers and, and Matt. Like, I, I really, I want to cry thinking about it. I loved it so much. And it's something I never would have expected. Yeah, but I, I love hearing that because I, I know that so many in the audience uh, love the character, love your performance. Y- you, to me, Catherine, are are one of those actors who, no matter the role, you you make it your own and make acting decisions that I can't picture anybody else making. So, uh, great great kudos uh, to you for um, what you did with. Uh, Agnes and and Agatha, which also kind of leads me into, of course, the song was big, the, but the music in general, the what Robert uh, Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez created here for every episode, these theme songs, Agatha all along. Um, well, well, take me back to, for Agatha, like the first time that uh, Matt and Jack or whoever, the first time you guys heard that. When did we hear that? We were like, well, we were hearing them all along. It was Matt, Matt brought them on, like, like, of the like millions of things that Matt did, like his strokes of genius, bringing Bobby and Kristen into the mix. Like I, I can't imagine it being any different way. And, and they would send us, I remember, I remember hearing the eighties one. I remember being together and being like, Holy cow. Holy crap. Yeah. This is okay. amazing. I mean, the first thing they did was originally you had uh, that. So Agatha was sort yes. of the idea for that. And I remember Kristen saying, you've been, Point around with Agatha all along. We thought, great, awesome. And then we had several chats about what exactly Agatha had been doing all along, so they could right. be more specific with it. And then, I mean, I just remember that Monsters meets Oompa Loompa song coming in and just being like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. And it was like, would would Catherine sing it? And it was like, oh, yes, yes, she will. Yes, she will. Uh, I, was like, <laughs> I was like, if anybody else touches it, I'm going to be so angry. Like, I was like, I have to do it. I have to do it. I was so excited. And then it was the great joy to see Catherine Hahn rise the iTunes chart above right. Justin Bieber and Cardi B. I know what do you, I know you got up to like number four or something. It was the greatest thing. You're a, you're a rock star. You are a literal <laughs> rock star. For a, hot, for a hot minute, when I'm, God willing, a very, very old lady, I will be able to just be rocking in a chair on a porch, <laughs> remembering that I was above the beams. For, for a very short amount of time. 
I want to see the Agatha All Along performance on the American Music Awards with like special guest Megan The Stallion. Oh, let's oh. make that happen, Jared. <laughs> Who do know. we call? I just heard about a tra- what a trap remix is, and I want to do that. <laughs> I just aged myself. This is going to happen. We're manifesting this. It's in the world. It's in the universe. It's going to happen. Yep. All right. As we start to wrap up here, I want to hear from all of you your favorite moment or episode from the series. And Paul, I will start with you. Oh, my God. I, I, I was really recalcitrant when um, uh, when Matt said, we're going to do the first episode in front of live studios. And I was like, you, you're going to do what? What are, you, what are you talking about? We can't possibly do that. And I, I haven't been in front of a live studio audience for 25 years, and I don't want to be. And I'm already frightened because I'd started really watching um, Dick Van Dyke and going, my God, it's so uh, it's so uh, skillful what he's doing, and I was terrified. And he forced us into it, and we shot it in one day, and then came back for specials and pickups. And it was the greatest. It was so much fun. I, 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 I mean, I, I, and it was this big leap into a void with 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 the cast, and you kind of went, well, I guess that's the tone. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, so. so um, it was, it was, it went from terrifying to just the most extraordinary experience in about, well, 45 minutes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big thrill. Uh, Tiana, how about for you? Gosh, uh, the whole thing was amazing. It was just also new and different, but, um, mm-hmm. ah, I, I guess watching, Paul, Lizzie, and Catherine throughout all the decades. Like, I'm fans of their work before this. And so to watch, just like, I feel like there was so, just the, the level, what the skill you need to be able to hit that kind of comedy in each decade. Like, with Paul, it's just like, oh my gosh, it's just so easy and smooth. And, and Lizzie having to have the, the depth and really go through all 10 decades. And Catherine, just that like snap like I just felt like I was learning watching the entire thing and then just getting to walk the shoes of becoming a superhero I mean it was all amazing I don't know Mm. Jack everybody Uh. I can't think yeah no, but that's good, though. And I, I cannot wait to see more of uh, Monica and what's to come. Uh, all right. How about Catherine, your favorite moment or episode? Huh. I mean, I think I would say the same as Paul. I, I, I think it would be the curtain call from the um, from the from the live studio audience. Um, it was just it felt like the beginning of something. And it felt like uh, I couldn't believe it was a television show that we were on the brink of something like that. We had completed something and yet had so much more to go. Mm. Um, uh, and Tiana was in the audience and it just, it just felt like we were, I couldn't believe what we had accomplished already and how, how much more that we had to go and that we were in a Marvel situation. Like the whole thing was magic. So I would, and what I was able to witness Paul Lizzie do like the whole thing. So Mm. I would say that magic in more ways than one. Matt, how about for you? I would also pick the live studio audience, but since I can't, I'm going to pick the day that we shot the opening title sequence for the 70s show, which was like just 
the best day of everybody doing quick changes into ridiculous, beautiful <laughs> 70s outfits and different hairdos and Lizzie with her baby bump riding on a yeah. bike, a you know, double bike and coming out of the library hall with the with his friends, you know, high fiving while he mm-hmm. sneaks the pregnancy book. It was just it was just great. Catherine's saucy expression coming out of the dress <laughs> shop. It was just really fun. You know, Tiana there waving at them on the bike. It was just one really fun bit after mm-hmm. another running around. Mm-hmm. Those openings are great. Jack? Um, I think for me it was it was uh, the day that we shot Wanda and Vision's goodbye in the house. Um, oh. I think because the whole show hinged on that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were blessed in the writers' room that we always knew what the where the end zone was. We knew where the show was going, and that was never in question. Lots of things were in question. <laughs> Lots of things shifted, but that was always you know, that's what we were gunning toward. And I had no doubt that, that it would be beautiful, you know, with Paul and Lizzie. Um, and, you know, we talked about it so much and, 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 you know, Matt came in with the, with the framing, with the, like, with the bay window and the, you know, and the hex, like kind of receding and coming toward them. And it was just, it was so glorious. And, and it was, it was one of those things that like on the day you're like, we got it. We got it. The whole show is like this moment and it's in the can and we had a lot left to do, but it was really, um, it felt like personally for me, like just the, the full completion of like where the story started before anybody knew about it. And then seeing, mm-hmm. seeing that incredibly beautiful moment, um, come to life. And yeah, I just felt so like proud of, you know, like it was like yeah. everybody. And, and that's, I think that's the truth across the whole, um, show and production is like, everybody showed up giving like entirely their all, um, Mm -hmm. which doesn't always happen. And it's really beautiful when you can feel that like everyone is excited, is committed and, and is there with, with their full being. Um, yeah. So, yeah. The final product of that was beautiful. I definitely felt myself like emotionally tense up as you saw the wall approaching. Uh, all right. I started with vision. Let's end with Wanda Elizabeth. What's your favorite scene? Um, that's so that's so much pressure for me. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love I love so, I love so many experiences, and at the same time, it's like a blur. Like this whole experience was so mm. fast. There's so many moments that are blur, and this isn't even really a scene. But my my this is gonna be so random. My favorite moment was filming a scene with um, the kids, Julian and Jet. And it was when Catherine, the dog is dead and Catherine has the dog and I, um, and I'm, and I'm telling them that, you know, that they can't escape death. And Julian at the end of it looked at me and he said, that was the best I've ever been. I, oh my God, that was so good. And the camera wasn't on him. It was on the other kid, and I didn't have the heart to tell him. And I really do think that in that moment, I was like, "Oh my god! Like what? 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 Like a confidence, you know?" And I, and I just, I think that to me was just gave me so much joy that I think about it all the time. That was the best. That really was the best. I mean, you are so, so random to end on me, but that really, I've nothing gave me more joy. Kind of sums it up. Everybody kind of gave it their their all, <laughs> off camera or on. Well, 
Yeah, it, it seems like that sums it up. I mean, that kind of like pure, uh, unbridled, like, yes, I did a great job. And and all of you did. So uh, congratulations on the series. Uh, I, I wish we could have more. It seems like we can't, but um, you all did a fantastic job. So, so congratulations and thanks to all of you for joining us today. It's been a, a great honor to talk to all of you about it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, great, Thank thanks. Wow, Jared, that was a marvelous interview. Mm, See what I did there? Uh, I appreciate it so much. You know, I love puns. I know you uh, do. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for listening. Be sure to rate the episode. Also subscribe so you don't miss future ones. And you can follow us on social media at EW. I am at Jared Hall. And Kristen, where can we find you? At Kristen G. Baldwin on Twitter. And she has fantastic takes there, so be sure to follow her. <laughs> we will see you next time on The Awardist. <laughs>